0: Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to The Ringer Podcast Network. We hope The Ringer can provide you entertainment and companionship during this time. So as always, feel free to check out theringer.com, where we're still covering the latest in sports, pop culture, tech, and media. And The Ringer's YouTube channel can provide endless amounts of entertainment. You can find that at youtube.com slash theringer.
1: Welcome to The Pod is Spoken, the Ringer's Survivor Recap Podcast. I'm Riley McTee, I'm your host, and every Thursday I'll be here on the Ringer Dish feed to recap the latest episode of Survivor. On each pod, I'll be accompanied by a different Ringer staffer. Today, joining me is somebody who always bats 750, it's Justin Verrier.
0: What's up, man? I'm so uh, pleased to be here with the godfather himself.
1: Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, I'm so happy to have you. Today, we are breaking down episode seven of Winners at War. This was our last episode before the merge. And it also saw really our last old schooler go with Yule in a blindside. Um, We'll break all that down. Let's get started. We'll begin with the first segment, which we call Tribal Council. This is our instant reactions and kind of our main discussion of the episode. So... We'll talk about Yule's boot. Uh, We'll talk about kind of all the strategy that's going on. But I kind of want to return to a tried and true topic here on the pod, which is we just need longer episodes, man. It felt like there was a lot on the cutting room floor here. Yeah, I 100% agree with this
0: take. Uh, I thought it was interesting because I thought this would be the episode where we start to get some reactions from the previous episodes, some spillover, because the first thing we see is Sandra. And so I'm like, oh, they'll... They'll go to Edge of Extinction, they'll talk about how she got booted, and then we'll go to Niche, she'll talk about that. But then it turned out that was just a plot point. And then we go to Wendell, and I'm like, oh, we'll get to see how his like aggressive, weird move at Tribal Council played out and like the dynamics of that. And we did, but it was only really uh, put it up there in order to set up the next move for later on in the show. And so it really wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And so I, I think you're right. I think these things are pretty crammed right now.
1: I'm really happy that we got Parvati and Sandra arriving at Edge of Extinction. And I thought that that was a really cool moment of them kind of explaining what happened with this tribe of old school legends. But we didn't get that on the last episode when Rob arrived on Edge of Extinction and he would have been reunited with Amber and that was left on the cutting room floor. And then in this episode, we also had, uh, there was a reward challenge that actually happened in this cycle, but was not shown on this episode at all, completely cut, which meant that we did not get the reactions of either tribe, any tribe, when they realized that Parvati was voted out and Sandra was voted out. And I'm like, I was waiting for those reactions. I wanted it to happen. And when the challenge came in and it didn't happen, I was like, what the hell? And it's just tough. Did we
0: even get the reactions to the peanut butter and jelly challenge in the first episode? Or was that
1: kind of leftover scene in this episode the first time we saw that. I think it might have been. That was from that immunity challenge in the last episode was also a reward challenge for peanut butter and jelly. Mm-hmm. But, you know, so we didn't get to see them enjo- enjoying it initially, but that kind of makes sense because they had to cut to which tribes were going to tribal council. So you just cut away from Yara. Sure. But, um, so, you know, we got a little bit of it. But uh, I want to see yeah, Chekov's
0: I mean- PB&J, though. Like, when you show me PB&J, I want to see the, the, the
1: spoils of the victory, man. Yeah. And also, PB&J isn't... Like that, great of a reward to me. It's kind of funny because they'll always react like it is a million dollars when they get a peanut butter and jelly. But I'm like, man, uh, at least have like a hamburger or something. <laughs> well, let me play devil's advocate here. So I think okay. we're all pretty
0: excited about this season. Uh, I think in part because of how exciting it's been, in part because of like the twists at the end do you think a large part of that is because of how frenetic the pace is that we don't get to see some of the things that could perhaps set out the final votes at the end because the pace is going so fast.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it it is a really fast pace, but some of it is also artificial in that Mm. they swapped to three tribes. So now you have three tribes. You have to keep track of plus edge of extinction. That's essentially four tribes And so it's not really surprising that you don't have time for a reward challenge on top of that. And, you know, the frenetic pace can lend itself to these really good individual episodes. And I think we've thought that basically every episode has ranged from either pretty good to just unbelievably fantastic. So each week has been satisfying. But when you zoom out and you look at the story as a whole, it can sometimes feel like there are, for me at least these missing links or blind spots that happen when you just don't have enough time to let things breathe. That's what I've been kind of missing so far. Yeah. I mean, it kind of cut against why Survivor has been so successful, I
0: think, because you have some of the splashier moments at first, but then you kind of really delve into the characters more. You get more invested. And I guess that's not as important in this season when they're all past winners. And so we all have pre-existing relationships with them but they're essentially trying to keep the entire tribe from the start alive in this entire thing except for Sandra, which we'll talk about but like they're trying to keep the entire cast of characters going and you can't really go deeper on any sort of relationship or at least as much as you probably wanted with that many people it's just like it, there's just so much going on
1: here and there have been moments from the edge that i appreciated like the, the Ethan moment when they had to climb up the mountain 20 times to, to get the logs, that was actually, I thought, great television. Mm-hmm. Um, but most of the time, even when they're focusing on those relationships on the edge, it just doesn't matter as much. It literally does not matter because these players are not in the main game. Mm-hmm. Well, let me pitch you on this. If they just kept all the episodes the same,
0: but added an after show... In order to really go over what we just experienced, do you think that they would have the same problems? I don't. I don't mean to be pitching uh, Riley a, a new like digital platform, but
1: uh, I, I think it would be. I mean, I would watch it. I'll say that. Do you mean an after-show like where they would talk now with like I don't know, like Michelle and Nick, and they'd be like, "What were you guys thinking on that vote?" Like like after the whole season has wrapped. Maybe, yeah, Uh, just pretty much like how they do, uh, what was it,
0: Talking Dead, you know, on on Walking Dead, or like Talk to Thrones, whatever. But I wonder if that would allow you, the the viewer, to kind of really marinate in what had just happened, so you don't really have to account for that in the next episode. That sounds great as long as I'm
1: hosting. (laughs) I'm for it. Um, But yeah, no, I mean, I saw, you know, all of these... Survivors are there, most of them are on social media, and so you can follow a little bit. So, I was looking at like Michelle's Twitter feed last night, and she was kind of explaining a little bit of why they went for Yule instead of Wendell, which I found really interesting because there was, on my part, some confusion as to exactly how that worked out. Um, Mm. but it's also like you shouldn't need, you know, ancillary content to understand the main show, it should kind of all be there. So, sometimes it feels like There are pieces getting left out and it can be a little confusing. That's interesting. I see, I'm not plugged into Survivor Twitter. I'm not on the like the
0: Reddit boards to discuss this. Do you find that to be equivalent to the experience I'm talking about of an
1: after show where people are having that sort of post-game discussion on Twitter? A little bit, a little bit. And I know that they do they'll do like exit interviews with um, cast members when they leave, though it's a little different this season because they haven't actually left the show. They're still on Edge of Extinction, so I think that the right. press availability is different. Um, but yeah, I mean, the the other thing, though, is I, I wonder how much a CBS's audience really only has an appetite for 60 minutes because I would just sit there and watch a live stream of Edge of Extinction just because I love like Robin <laughs> Parvati and Tyson and whoever. Um, mm-hmm. But I am also... I understand that I'm atypical in that regard.
0: I think we can cut like a couple episodes of Young Sheldon just to give uh, us this
1: experience. Yeah. I mean, the the show that's on after Survivor is it's like SEAL Team and then SWAT. <laughs> and it's like, I it's, think we can cut a little bit from this and give us a little bit more Survivor. It, yeah. The Boreanus experience. I, I don't think
0: anybody needs that every week. It's very similar to how because I I work on the basketball side at the ringer, how every before every TNT Sunday or Thursday, you get an episode of bone. So for me, that's a little bit familiar.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So I think we're in agreement. We could have a little bit longer episodes, at least for this season. Um, let's talk a little bit about Yule this episode. Do you think that he had any way out of this pickle? Did he do anything wrong? And what just happened on this vote? So not to go a little bit ahead of ourselves, but I am curious
0: about this whole fire token maneuver he tried to pull off. Perhaps just we just witnessed Sandra try to do something similar and watch that backfire in just dramatic fashion. And I'm a little bit more sensitive to it, but I just found that, like I don't know if it was part of the edit or what, I found that to be really odd. And it really it was overstepping in a way that seemed uncharacteristic of Yule, who seems to be very measured. And even, like, how he was explaining how to go about that seemed to be very well thought out uh, and, like, forward-looking. But the move itself seemed to be weird when we don't even know what these things are worth yet. And, like, all of a sudden, both Sandra and him are just putting all this added emphasis. I don't know if they're just, like, anticipating the merge and then the tokens becoming uh, a bigger factor once the tribes are merged or what. But I found that to be completely odd. And he really exposed himself as a result of it.
1: Yeah, so this was weird for me too. There's obviously a theme right now running where players are kind of overplaying the importance of the fire tokens and it ends up getting the target put on themselves. This happens with Sandra and Yule. Um, They also just cut his idea really strangely. Uh, Like it wasn't clear what exactly his plan was to get Wendell's fire tokens because I was watching it very closely, that scene, And it sounds like all he says is, you know, Michelle, you'll say you'll tell Wendell that you're voting for me, but then you'll actually vote for Wendell um, and we'll just vote him at 3-1. And in which case, why would Wendell give his fire tokens to Michelle, who just betrayed him? So I think actually happened in that conversation. um, And I, I just base this on because it's what I would have tried to do. Is, and I think that they cut it because it didn't end up happening. It would have been too confusing. Is that Yule wanted a tie vote intentionally? So he was like, Michelle, you're going to actually write my name down. Wendell, we know, is writing Yule. And then Yule himself and Nick would both vote for Wendell. And then on the revote, vote, Michelle would flip, vote Wendell out. Uh, and then they'd at least be able to say, or Michelle would be able to say, hey, Wendell, you know, I tried. And then mm. they get his fire tokens. They get, Um, his two tokens, and they split them between Michelle and Yule. I think that was the idea. Now, that is a lot of steps, and uh, I can understand why it wasn't necessarily presented that way. That's what I think was was happening there. Okay, so maybe I didn't understand what was happening either, because I just
0: thought he was going to try to pull the same move that Wendell tried at last Tribal Council where he was going to say, hey, give me your fire tokens and I'll protect you when he wouldn't actually protect them and just vote him off anyway. Though that would seem to be counter to what else he was saying later at Tribal Council when he's like, well, we'll be able to work together, yada, yada. I don't know. I don't know if he's just saying whatever will keep him in the best position or what. But the whole thing with the fire tokens, I'm just like, I'm kind of done with the fire tokens because at this point I have no idea what they do. And unless you're going to show me the value of them, Actually, like like accounting for them in your strategy just seems completely wild.
1: I'm actually so I agree that that players are thinking about them too much, but I'm actually kind of into fire tokens as a twist. Because in my view, my theory is that any twist that forces players to make really tough decisions is good. And that's what this does. You know, Yule says it in the episode where it's like, well, you want to vote somebody out. Uh, but you still want to stay on their good side so that you get their fire tokens, which has always been true. Once you get to the jury segment of the game, you want to vote someone out, but not alienate them so that you get their jury vote at the end. Uh, It's just making that effect more immediate. And it's interesting. And there's some, there is some fire token dealing because we also have Wendell and Michelle dealing with fire tokens and they haven't gotten voted out for it yet.
0: Yeah. I I guess it's thinking too far ahead. And I, perhaps that's kind of just the theme of this season where anybody, who wants to maneuver too much seems to expose themselves. Anyone who is willing to like even have the first discussion as we've seen a few times is ultimately going to be become the target. And so there's this weird meta aspect of, of this season just because they're all pretty experienced players. When the person who actually decides to play the game, is the one that exposed the most. It reminds me of being on Twitter, honestly, where, like, Twitter as a platform, you need someone to say things in order for people to engage. But whenever someone says something that you don't like or just says something in general, you are attacked by a Twitter mob, and that's how it feels for me this season. Speaking from experience.
1: The rule for Twitter is never tweet. The rule for Survivor (laughs) is just, is becoming never strategize, I guess. Kind of. I Um, mean, look at Nick. When's the last time Nick did anything? Besides, like, just lust over poverty. He did, he did the Tyson vote a little bit, uh, yes. although that was a, a group, a bit of a group decision. Um, I do agree with you, though. There is like a strange incentive where it feels like on past seasons, a player like Yule, who is thinking ahead, would have gotten at least to the end of the game, if not won the game, um, but done really well. And now it is, it's like those players are immediately identified as threats and they are voted out. And that's why we've just had so many of the big names go so early in the season.
0: Yeah, about that. Do you think there is a bit of a conspiracy here against some of the older school players? Because Yule was the last one, apparently, and I didn't realize that until Probes mentioned it in like one line that perhaps could have been added in post later, uh, and then all of a sudden he's
1: gone. Um, I definitely think, as they've referenced several times on this season, there are pre-existing relationships and friendships, and you know, as we should all figure, pre-existing alliances before anybody even was on a beach in Fiji. Uh, A lot of these people are friends, talk on the phone, whatever. And I would not be surprised at all if there was some kind of idea to target the old school players by the new school players. Granted, I also think once you're actually there, a lot of that stuff becomes really blurry. And if you look at it, it's like, you know, Yule could have worked with Parvati and Michelle on the previous vote. Sandra could have kept her idle. Like there are ways for some of these people to have stuck around. So there's also a string of bad luck. Um, there's also just the fact that old, these older players, these legends just have bigger targets. They're getting targeted because they're bigger targets. You know, it can, it can be as simple as that. But I mean, it'd be naive to think that some of these new school players didn't talk before the season. Of course they did. Yeah. It seems like too big of a coincidence for all of this to happen
0: and I do wonder, perhaps to your point about the episodes being too short, I wonder if like this is a bigger deal on the island. There are more discussions about this, but they've been like they've concealed it in order to not just completely blow the next couple of episodes. Because if we saw this coming, we would have known all of the previous votes, essentially, except for maybe Sandra, just because that one was such a blind side.
1: Yeah, I definitely. I would lean more toward something like that than an explanation. You know what Jeff was like, where he was like, oh, you know, is it that old school players can't adapt? And Yule's like, yeah, the game's moving much faster. But I think we saw the old school players play pretty well in flashes. It's not like they got left totally in the dust. Maybe a few did early. Like, I thought that like Amber and Ethan sort of the game was a little bit quick for them, but the rest of them seemed like they were fine.
0: Yeah, no, I I thought like, you know, maybe Rob's buddy system would be the counter to that, where he tried to pull more of an old school move that didn't perhaps work in uh, a setting where everybody knew exactly what he was doing, was kind of pissed off that he even tried to do it. But Yule in particular, I thought, was more calculated than some of the new school players. And that was probably what ended up getting him. You would think that would be more of a new school move where they were a little bit more active, like Adam or something. But it seemed like that flipped against him where... I mean, I was a little surprised that he left and I thought he's played a really good game up until this point. But it really kind of was comeuppance from earlier in the season when he starts talking about the poker club and like basically assuming that this is like a big cabal against everyone else and they're going to ultimately team up, yada, yada, yada. And then he ended up getting just looped
1: into this old school crew and then all of a sudden he's gone. We've talked a bunch of times on this podcast about Yule being in a really good position. And I really thought he was in a good position. And then, you know, in this episode he goes, and I think that that's a kind of a testament to every other player on the show is that they also understood that Yule was in a good position and that they, he needed to be removed for that reason. Cause especially if you think about it from Michelle and Nick's perspective, and they really were kind of the two swing votes in this episode, there's a scene where they're like, Hey, well, we just need to make a decision. And it's kind of them two deciding. Um, If Yule is at the end, and it's early to think about the end, but if you're at final tribal council, he's got all of these people on the edge of extinction, which is the jury, who are going to respect Yule and feel good about him and potentially give Yule votes. Wendell is not the same. Wendell has no one on the edge, seemingly. And so, of course, it makes more sense to keep Wendell than Yule. And it's smart of them that they figured that out, I think.
0: Yeah. My one question now, though, is if they've gone too far in one direction. And this seems to be the theme of this entire game here. And so I wonder if we're talking long term, if we're looking to the final vote, if now one of those people, two of those people come back from Edge of Extinction. Now, did you just flip like however many people are on the edge now, like six or seven or whatever it is? Are all of those people going to be more inclined to, to align with the person who comes back from Edge of Extinction if they get that far. Like, you basically created a whole mob that's going to side with one people, and I wonder if it's, if they've swung too wildly in one direction.
1: Yeah. It, the other trade-off is I would probably rather work with Yule than Wendell because I think Yule is a little bit more reliable and Wendell is more likely to flip around. I mean, he literally was like, I'll backstab, I'll stab" <laughs> in the last episode. So, you know, if you're kind of putting your eggs in the Wendell basket, look out.
0: Well, I think that's an open question. I don't know if you want to talk about Wendell now, but yeah, let's let's talk about Wendell. I do wonder how much of
1: the him and Sarah dynamic is for show. That's my biggest question with those two. Yes, so it's I definitely think that the show is playing up the contentiousness and like the tension between Michelle and Wendell. Um, because there's, I mean, like, if those two really could not, have a conversation or were that awkward or that hostile to each other then why were they both working on the puzzle together like clearly they they can work together either they can both put aside personal stuff for the game which i believe they probably can do or the show is playing it up or them two are playing it up maybe they're a lot tighter than other people believe and what we've seen over and over in survivor is power couples get targeted and they go out and maybe they're like hey we just need to have some really like public bickering so people don't think that we're tight but maybe they are tight yeah i mean they went after rob and
0: amber immediately because they're married i did think it was very strange that as soon as wendell and michelle got together nobody pointed that out like and it did seem like i don't know if that was because they were first on. They were on a tribe together for the first time, and then the show decided to play up the bickering or, or whatever it was. But that those would be the first two people I would worry about. Like if if we're, we're targeting pre existing alliances, those two are the big red flag. And while they make an effort to show every instance in which Michelle calls him babe, even like bringing up like the text on that one in order to really like tease out this whole relationship, I thought it was interesting after the vote happened, the look that they gave to each other where they were pretty much joking around and she was like yeah I really had you scared there didn't I and I was like this is a this is what couples
1: do they fuck around with each other yeah she was being so like cute with him and stuff and I think that there's like a read too where you know so they showed like Wendell and Yule's conversation where Wendell was very chill and then Wendell and Michelle's conversation where Wendell was very not chill and maybe there's a read where it's like you know maybe Wendell is just more comfortable with Michelle and like expresses himself differently there and it's not necessarily like tension and hostility but is actually like kind of almost trust because it seems like the two of them are working together I actually wonder if they worked together a little bit more on the parv vote than we were even shown like obviously Michelle Mm. liked parv a lot and was aligned with her um but I We also know that Michelle was like, well, you know, if Parv has to go, like, let me make this work for me. And then they split the fire tokens from Parv. So I don't know. I think that there is a chance that Wendell and Michelle are actually a little bit more of a duo than we're being led to believe. Yeah, I believe it. I guess the only downside to aligning yourself
0: with Wendell is he just happens to say things and do things that just like are inexplainable. Like even with the charitable understanding that he and Michelle were working together, uh, as recently as the previous episode, like what he said at Tribal Council just like didn't make any sense and he seemed to get really <laughs> aggro for whatever reason and then he just like decides to talk shit to Propes, which uh, I, I don't know if people have seen the 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 YouTube video of Propes just like going back and being catty towards some of the contestants that has been going around lately. Uh, like that's like cardinal sin, just don't
1: do that. I just thought that was yeah. really weird. It's funny because so he's talked he's talked a little bit of trash with Probst the few times in this episode. The one thing where it was understandable at the challenge was when he was trying to call Jeff over with the puzzle. I don't know right. if you've seen Ghost Island, which was his winning season, but there was an immunity challenge on that season with a puzzle, much like this one, where you're putting pieces into the board, and uh, he like Wendell basically like won that challenge uh in that he was the first done with the puzzle but he finished the puzzle he kind of took a step back and looked at it and in that split moment of hesitation another contestant laurel finished her puzzle and called jeff and jeff saw it and laurel ended up winning the challenge and wendell was like livid about it because Mm. of course he, he was the first one to complete it and jeff was like look man you didn't call me over. I didn't see it. It's what I see. And so I think that that like in this challenge, you know, there was the remark where Wendell was like, Oh, let's not exaggerate Jeff. That was like totally unnecessary and stupid. But that when he was like, Jeff, Jeff, you know, we're close. I think that that was just a flashback to, he wants to make sure he's seen on the puzzle. Cause he's gotten burned by that before. Gotcha. Yeah. I haven't seen that season. So I didn't get the metal
0: layer there. So yeah, maybe it was more a, a rational decision than he was, but uh overall i would say if we're looking at the bigger picture of like who's in good shape i would put them up there with pretty much any sort of pre-existing alliance that we have going right now
1: yeah i think um it's interesting because i feel like wendell you know people have said hey he's like kind of a little bit of a jackass um so i wonder if that'll come back to burnham or if he's kind of the perfect person you want to work with because you figure, you know, he's probably not getting votes at the end. Um, I'm not sure, but it's it, that dynamic is one of the more interesting ones in the game, and I'm so interested to watch it going forward. Yeah, for sure. Um, let's zoom out a little bit and look at this season, because we're going into the merge episode, so we're kind of at the halfway point. We can sort of assess the pre-merge. I think that the pre-merge was awesome individually with each episode. That said, this boot order is brutal with every old-school person going. I mean, if you told me preseason, here are the players in the merge, I'd have been like, what the hell happened? We're not getting Parvati. We're not getting Rob. We're not getting Sandra. We're not getting Ethan. We're not getting Yule. Wow.
0: Yeah, it is a little bit of a bummer, and I do wonder when the Edge of Extinction will come into play into the big game because I am getting as fun as the Edge of Extinction scene was from uh, this past episode. I do wonder how much more I could watch them just climb up and down this hill just to get rice and whatnot. Uh, And I do. So I think my biggest question is I agree with you that uh, just from an entertainment value, I'm I'm probably less interested in what's going on on the regular Island. I do wonder like when is edge of extinction going to come into play into and cross over and
1: how many of those players are going to cross over. So I think it'll be this upcoming episode. Obviously we saw it. They merge on the upcoming episode, and previously on the edge of extinction season, um, that was when they had a player reenter the game. So I would assume I, I, you know, we talk about how rushed the edit is. I guess that's a lot for one episode is they have to do the merge. They have to do the re-entry challenge. They'll have to do a, a, an individual immunity challenge and then they'll have to do a tribal council. So maybe the next episode is an extended episode. Fingers crossed. Um, but I think that once a player returns, I think it'll only be one. Uh, then maybe for the rest of the season, Edge of Extinction will take a slightly more of a back seat. We'll get another player who returns toward the end, if it's similar to the way they they did it the first time around. Um, but we're so close right now; it makes sense that they have to kind of revisit that.
0: Wait. So after one player comes back, we're still going to have Edge of Extinction for the rest of uh,
1: like the next couple episodes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There'll be a player who comes back at, like, final six, I think it was before, or final five or something. I mean, this was the whole Edge of Extinction twist before. It's crazy how late a player can come back.
0: Yeah, I guess that only makes Sandra's decision to walk off even more perplexing. Because she's so close. Yeah, if Edge of Extinction was going to happen, like, two challenges later, which is what in Survivor Days? Just two literal days Or maybe, let's say, three or something.
1: Yeah, three or four. Yeah, something like that. Not very long. She pretty much just gave up her best opportunity. She must have known,
0: just based on the cadence of the season and when Edge of Extinction happened last time, that that had to be close by. She could have just sat out whatever challenges were having
1: at Edge of Extinction. That was a very interesting decision on her part for that reason. Right. She doesn't have to run up the hill to get the fire token. I mean, the other thing that sucks is the edge of extinction is the jury. We've never had Sandra on the jury. She's either been in the final tribal council or has gone pre-merge. And obviously she went pre-merge in this season, but the difference is she still could have been on the jury. So we're just, if she's serious about retiring, we're just never getting Sandra on the jury. That sucks.
0: Yeah, it sounded like uh, th- how the Rolling Stones have played like a million going away concerts. That's what that sounded like to me. Like she's not actually retiring. These people are addicted to the show, so I wouldn't be surprised if we see her like uh, in like a-, a couple seasons from now.
1: Yeah, I think it might. I think it might be a little uh, like a-, a while longer than that. But there'll be some kind of like like season fifty. They'll do uh, <laughs> maybe not all winners, but some sort of like legendary season and they'll try and get her back and I wouldn't be surprised if she comes back. It's kind of one of those, you know, you'll believe it when you see it when it comes to a player retiring. What did you think about her move leaving so soon? Um, I think she should have at least stuck around for a day or two and just seen what the vibe was maybe. Right. Um, like one day. You know. One day would have been nice. A night. She didn't even last a night. She, she lasted like 20 minutes and she was just <laughs> like, "Nope, not for me." Uh, yeah, I mean, that. you know, it, it sucks. I kind of wish she'd, she'd stayed at least a little bit. I want to see her with Rob more. I want to see her with Parvati. I mean, you know, some of these players who she's played with previously and been with before, it sucks that we're not going to get that either.
0: Yeah, I agree. I would love to see the her and Rob and Amber dynamic play out a little bit longer. Though I guess part of me, uh, maybe this is a little too close to the bone considering our our country's current situation, but like, you know, when the whole zombie thing happened a few years ago and everyone would talk about like, oh man, in a zombie apocalypse, I would do X, Y, and Z. My answer was always, I would lay down and just go. <laughs> you know, I would just like not worry about this. If you don't have Wi-Fi, if you don't have donuts, I would just like check out. So
1: I guess this is the survivor and less morbid equivalent of that. I do respect her just being like, you know what? I know where I'm at. My legacy is unimpeachable. I'm out. It's, yeah. kinda, it's kind of a boss move in a way. Yeah. I mean, Tyson is
0: like just scrounging for, what was it, peanut butter a couple of weeks ago. So I don't know if that's the way
1: to live. Well, I mean, we kind of love it. Tyson, I think, is totally fine living like that. Um, Let's uh, let's move along a little bit. I want to check in on the tribes that did not go to tribal council. So Yara was really interesting to me just because Ben and Adam seem to not be working together at all anymore. If anything, Adam seems just completely at the end of his rope with Ben, which is very funny. Um, But Adam also, it was a rough episode for him in totally getting wrong who has the idol and being so confident in it. really he's getting kind of a weird he's having a weird season.
0: Yeah, I think that was a clear example of how much people dislike Adam because he completely read that correctly and he even said so in the confessional afterward. And yet somehow they were able to flip
1: him being right about them being shady. Well, he into, well he was him. He's like half right because he thought that Sarah and Ben had an idol. It's actually Mm. Sophie who has the idol, right? Uh, But Sarah knows about Sophie's idol. So maybe, uh, I think that he clued into like, Sarah wasn't searching legitimately. Ben was. Ben has no idea about the idol. But Mm -hmm. Sarah was, you know, doing it for show. And he was like, oh, it's so obviously a charade. But, uh, you know, it kind of is a a clue that Sophie is much better at, I don't know, acting maybe than these other people (laughs) are. Um, Because he had no idea that Sophie had the idol. No clue.
0: Yeah, the Sophie Sarah pairing seems to be a good one going into the merge. And if I was Ben, I would definitely try to align myself to them more because it does feel like Adam's time is just up no matter what, like the next vote he can be a part of. He's going to go. And so uh, I don't know. I, I just thought like that was a pretty it showed like what a weak position he's in because he tried
1: to play too fast and lose too early. Adam totally seems like he's on the outs from that tribe on DeCall, uh, Tony seems to be on the outs, which I'm much more really, really saddened by because Adam, he's fine. Tony, I love. And the idea of Denise, Jeremy and Kim kind of teaming up being this sort of big three and leaving Tony out. Oh, it hurts. I want Tony to go far. Yeah, I want to see as much Tony screen time as we're we're allowed to,
0: as much time that he won't spend just hiding in the brush. Uh, But I got to say, so the Denise and Jeremy pairing seems to be particularly strong. I mean, she used an idol just to protect him last time, which is really smart, not only because of like, maybe she just had a, a tight relationship with him, but it really just solidified that pairing going forward. Kim, on the other hand, i I just felt like she's been able to turn the tide so well. Like I don't know if it's because the tribes all got shuffled up at the right time or what like just when she was about to be targeted, but she had come back from being the next one out to someone who could potentially worm her way into this threesome that could be pretty powerful, and then if everyone merges next week, I do wonder like if she could even just like vault herself even further in the game,
1: yeah, she was being targeted early she's kind of now transitioned to being i guess under the radar i would say but not i don't i'm not convinced that she's in like a a power position really like i'm not totally convinced that her alliance with denise and jeremy is as strong as the alliance that denise and jeremy have with each each other Mm -hmm. um but if this is the beginning of kim's arc upward then that's a really good sign for her
0: Yeah, and if the Edge of Extinction players don't end up lasting, the two that end up coming back or one whatever will end up being, I do wonder if the jury will side with her just considering how much she sided with some of those people to begin with, the Tysons of the world, etc.
1: So next week is the merge. Is there anybody that you think is in a particularly good place or maybe somebody who's in like an okay place right now with the tribes what they are but that'll get a big jump by going into the merge like is anybody saved by the timing of this it seems like Ben has Adam as a shield
0: but it does seem like he's in a precarious situation overall and so I do think Uh, shake up of the numbers probably benefits him more than some of these other players. I think anybody who's on the outskirts of a, of a tight two at this point, and it seems like there are a lot of those going around the three tribes uh, are just kind of vulnerable, but he's in a situation where I think he still has enough juice and he's played a good enough game that if he could just like swing the dynamics in one way or another, he could
1: end up getting back in this. I wanted to, uh, highlight also tony and sarah because the the show spent a lot of time and as we said they don't have a lot of time so anything that they show is important they spent a lot of time showing tony and sarah and the kind of rekindling of this cops R us alliance that they had from their original season on kagayan and i think tony being on the outs on his tribe getting back with Sarah, who has a really good alliance with Sophie, who's shown being close with Ben, means it could totally change Tony's game going forward. Um, I think that if you know that tribe, Tony's tribe, lost the challenge by half a second, um, if they go to tribal, if that goes the other way, Tony probably goes home. But going into the merge, he has a number of people he can work with. So I think this came just in the nick of time for him.
0: Yeah, and when the merge happens next week, I do wonder, Jeremy is a firefighter, right? Yeah. So I do wonder if maybe they just loop him in because that that's the one tribe that doesn't seem like there are many cracks that if they had to vote someone out, it'd be because they had to, not because they want to, like in a situation with Adam where that people just kind of want to get rid of him, it seems like. So I could see that foursome maybe solidifying itself. And all of a sudden that's the majority in the tribe.
1: Yeah. I think that there's a chance for, you know, Jeremy always says that he likes Tony and People need shields. I don't know. You can't get rid of all the big threats forever or else Jeremy will be the big threat. I wonder if he'll rethink kind of some of his Tony alliance.
0: Yeah, I, I think Jeremy's also in a, in a particularly good situation. Him and Denise seem really solid. And uh, Denise made a very splashy move. And I'm very thankful that she did that. And we'll be talking about that probably forever. Uh, but he's the one who benefited from it without getting exposed or having the attention drawn to it.
1: Yeah, his hands are clean. He hasn't yet had to scramble or make any big moves yet, which is great because as soon as Tony starts doing that, it's going to make everybody so nervous if they aren't nervous with Tony already. Um, Let's also talk about the edge a little or who could return from the edge. Um, I think that there are a few players. So Nally and Rob each have three fire tokens. They can use these to buy advantages in the challenge. Whatever challenge comes up, we really don't know what it's going to be. But is there anybody else who seems like they could be in a good position to get off the edge. I mean, if there was some sort of vote based on
0: just not the fire tokens and it's just like personal relationships, I could see people leaning toward Ethan uh, just because he seems to be like a favorite among some of these people. Uh, I could see Yule for that reason seemed like he worked well with a variety of people. But if we're talking about like who we want to see, it's definitely Rob. I want to see as much Rob as possible. And this episode was just another example of like how
1: every time he's on screen,
0: he managed to make the show way better.
1: Yeah, I uh, Rob would be great. I mean, the the flip side to having all of the kind of legend old schoolers go early is that almost anybody coming back from Edge of Extinction would be very exciting. Uh, I think that we can't underestimate Tyson and his peanut butter power <laughs> sure. um, he's, he's a very good at challenges too so that could just be a thing ethan got a really interesting moment in this episode where he talked about how determined he is to come back and um as he's talking about his uh like stem cells and cortisol levels and stuff parvati is like hey man have you tried uh you know like essential oils and, and thinking good <laughs> thoughts <laughs> that was a very funny conversation you know i love parv uh, um, but uh, yeah, I think Ethan could come back. Yeah, that, that would make a
0: lot of sense. I, I I don't know what is going to dictate it. And I, I hope it's the fire tokens, just so we know what the hell they're for.
1: Yeah. Um. Okay, let's move on to our next segment. This is our archetype breakdown. So this is the segment where we kind of talk about a strategy that players can use to move through the game to potentially win the game. And the archetype I want to break down today is called the Coattail Rider. And I have an audio clip to play here because Denise basically explains this strategy. So let's let her explain it. And I know that my way of playing can be viewed under the radar, can be viewed as riding coattails, however you might look at that. But, hey, there are big targets in very small places. And you better be watching out, you know, because I am. I'm here to play. I'm here to play just like everybody else. So as you hear there from Denise, the the idea is this is a player who sort of just skates under the radar, latches onto a bigger player, and just has hopes of getting to the end and then maybe shakes things up and, and is able to win. Obviously the upside is you can ride the coattails at the end. The downside is if you have no resume, you have no respect, you don't get the jury votes. I think a lot of coattail riders end up as what we would call goats who just end up in final tribal and don't really get any votes and don't really get any real consideration to win the season. Um, even though Denise says that this is her style of play, I don't think it is her style of play at least not on this season, given the massive flashy move she just made. Um, and I don't know if anybody really is that st- type of player in this season right now. I think everybody has had their moments, but maybe there are some people who haven't yet had their moments as much as others.
0: Yeah, I don't know if it's so much coattail riding as it is just falling under the radar. Uh, like we've talked about with Kim A little bit before probably because all of these players uh, are so prominent and they played enough that they probably had to make a move or two besides denise up until this point that it's really hard to to play that way i mean we talked about the frenetic pace in part it seems like it's like that because everybody is playing like there aren't any, any scenes of people even like living life or a going like there was only like one or two fishing scenes because of that. It just doesn't seem like there's any space to not play the game. I guess it is the point I'm making.
1: Yeah. Uh, a surprise kind of um under the radar player, player who just hasn't really had a chance to make a move might be Tony actually, as I'm just thinking right now, like he just hasn't <laughs> normally Tony is the one kind of controlling things and, and trying to make all these big splashes and moves. And he just has not done that yet. Um, I am sure that he eventually will, <laughs> just given who he is. And Jeremy a little bit too. You know, Jeremy kind of was with Michelle in the vote to vote out Ethan, but Michelle got all the credit for that and all the screen time for it. And it seemed like Jeremy was just playing along, at least from what we saw on the edit. So there are a few players who just, they, ha- they haven't had their moments yet, but I- we won't call them riding coattails, really.
0: Yeah, and I guess Michelle maybe a little bit, uh, but again, it seems like she was more waiting for the right opportunity. And now it seems like she's at the point where she might even have the strong hand within that three Alliance with
1: her, Nick and, and Wendell. Yeah. Michelle's playing like a a big game now. I mean, one of the other things that's so weird about this season is the music is really different. And she got that (laughs) funky, like rock (gasps) track playing under her as she was talking about how she was going to prove her game going into tribal. Uh, It was so weird. I mean, they're, they're like pumping up Michelle on the show.
0: Yeah, that was incredibly strange where all of a sudden, like Nickelback pretty much just starts blaring. I'm like, what is happening right now?
1: (laughs) It's really weird. The vibe this season is a lot different than it has been in previous seasons. I'm not really for or against it. I'm just interested in it. Um, It's intriguing. And the fact that it highlights Michelle is great because, uh, you know, longtime listeners will know Michelle was my winner pick for preseason. So I'm feeling great about Michelle right now. Feeling just great about it.
0: Yeah, a lot of my picks have already gone. I think I was big on the Yule train early. And I was also big on Amber, assuming that like everyone would focus on Rob and Amber would just kind of coast as a result. But that did not work
1: out. (laughs) I know. I really I thought Amber would have a little more life in her, just especially it's been like 15 years or something since she's played. Same with Ethan. Ah, Man, you know, we've already talked about the old schoolers going extinct, but. I thought that a lot of those people, like the players who really had not played in a very, very long time would go under the radar more and instead they got targeted early. I mean, I don't remember the last time Amber
0: even got screen time to the point when like, they were trying to, when they were trying to figure out where the three tokens went in that early Edge of Extinction challenge, they were like, oh, if, if Amber had them, she would tell Rob. And then Rob is so much more interesting and conniving
1: that he was actually doing that. Well, actually... Let's move on to superlatives because I think we're gonna talk about what I had in mind. But okay. uh, let's do let's do our superlatives. Um, let's talk about our best moves, Justin. I'll let you go first. What was your best move of this episode?
0: Yes, my best move is what I believe you were alluding to, which is Rob somehow sticking not just one, not just two, but three fire tokens in. It had to be his crotch area. Like, are we to presume that Rob is just so gifted in that area that he could cover the length of of three (laughs) fire
1: tokens? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I thought that they were going to reveal that he'd like hid them in a bush or like buried them or something when no one was looking. And then they just never explained where he hid those fire tokens. I don't know what we're to believe. Because he even, I believe at one point, drops his
0: shorts in order to say, like, here I am in my underwear. I don't have anything on me. So there are really, like, one to two options of where those <laughs> tokens can be.
1: Yeah, yeah, they do the frisk thing. They're like, all right, everybody, frisk. Like, Tyson just shows everyone that he has one. And I, I got to believe, you know, Tyson's like, oh, the consensus is the other three weren't found. That cannot be the consensus. Everybody knows that advantages are found. Like, that's what happens to advantages. They get found. And someone has him, but I don't, I don't know, man. That was very impressive from Rob. I guess I don't know, depending on what how that that all went down.
0: Yeah, I mean, we need more Rob in, in this challenge. I think that's just like a total sign of of his star power in this whole game. Where uh, just the one or two moments we have with him, he just makes like the episode basically.
1: Yeah one one of those moments where you're actually glad to have Edge of Extinction. You just wish it came in a longer episode where we had a little more time for everything else, too. Um, I'll do my best move. So I, I don't know. I guess best move might not be quite right for this, but I actually really liked Yule's idea for how to get Wendell's fire tokens. You know, this isn't super dissimilar from what Michelle was doing with Parvati in the previous vote. And obviously like Michelle and Parvati were very close, but just the way that Michelle kind of worked it to be like, okay, I'll get the fire tokens. I can repair my relationship with Wendell by giving him one. Um, and we can make a kind of alliance that I guess paid off in this episode. Uh, it's not totally clear exactly how all that went down, but I think you had the right idea. He at least offered you know, if you're Michelle and Nick, you know that by voting Yule out, you're not going to get any fire tokens. But if they had voted Wendell out, they probably get some fire tokens. So that's a new thing that they had to consider.
0: Yeah, and and this flips to my worst move, which I thought was Yule. For that reason, just because, as I explained up top, I just I don't know the value of the fire tokens, and I just think it's way too soon to start assuming that they're going to have significant value down the road when you're just living week to week at this point. And maybe if you weren't at Tribal that week, you could have tried to pull something like that. But there are four of you, and so the odds are against you sticking around. And and so I just thought that was a very risky move from a player who, up until this point, had been, been very conservative and very
1: well thought out. All we know so far about the value of the fire tokens is that if you're in the actual main game, the menu that you have, which is different from the menu on the Edge of Extinction, uh, has, you know, various prices for like coffee and like donuts and stuff. And then the big thing is you can use four fire tokens to get an advantage in a challenge, which obviously no one is giving up four fire tokens to get an advantage for a tribal uh, challenge. But in an individual immunity challenge for fire tokens that, you know, for the right tribal council, when you really need immunity, that could be the difference between staying in the game and not. There's also the thought, as you alludes to that, they'll have different options at the merge. Maybe the prices will change. Maybe there's the chance to buy an idol. We also know that they're getting certain advantages from edge of extinction, though. Not everyone knows that Not everyone knows how they're coming or what they're priced at. So that's kind of like uneven information. That's different. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting because the fire tokens are having an effect on the game, but it's not always, uh, you know, it, it has caused some, the downfalls of some people, but I think that Yule was thinking about it, right? I really wonder if they keep fire tokens for seasons beyond this one and the value of them is more known. Maybe a move like that would have worked. Maybe it wouldn't. Maybe it's, maybe they're not as valuable as these players think. We just don't know if they're over or undervaluing the tokens right now.
0: Yeah, I do think it wasn't a coincidence that two of the more savvy players, Sandra and Yule, were ones who identified fire tokens at this point in the game as something that they should probably start considering into their maneuvers. Uh, It just seems like until we know what they're worth, and as we kind of outlined earlier about how doing anything seems to put you on the block, it just was almost like overthinking things in a way that was really exposing.
1: Um, my worst move is just basically Adam's entire gameplay in this episode <laughs> and his certainty, his certainty that, uh, Sarah or Ben must have the idol, even though it was Sophie who had the idol and him kind of being annoyed that he had to like play damage control on that, <laughs> even though he was correct, according to him, but he was actually, you know, not correct or at best like half correct because perhaps he could get the read on Sarah. But it just feels like over and over Adam is putting himself in like a bad spot in the game, not really doing well at making allies. I don't know if he's going to stick around because he might be kind of a goat the players want to sit on the end with or if he's going to be like an easy merge boot next episode. But either way, hard to see him winning at this point.
0: Yeah, my only defense of Adam in this situation is that his intuition was right. It wasn't perhaps directed toward the right person, but he knew that someone, based on just the vibes he was getting at Tribe, had an idol and he was right about it. But the way that they flipped that on him just shows like what a weak position he was in. He's in a very, it was like a very McNulty on the wire thing where he was so right and he just needed people to know that he was right and that they had to expose him. But Like, what is the actual tangible benefit of being right in that situation? If they didn't want to tell you, they're not going to tell you. So just move on. And if anything, he ended up hurting
1: himself pretty much from that situation. Just play it cool. Also, if the idol is actually in Sophie's bag, there have been numerous instances in the past of players just going through the bags of other players. I don't know if the rules have changed on this season. Their bags certainly have changed. They're really weird. I've never seen them have these gigantic, like, messenger bags they have this season. but. He should just wait for everybody to, you know, go down to the water or go fishing or something. And then just look through everyone's bags and he'd find Sophie's idol. As simple as that. The bag
0: checks, I have to say, is really weird because they always seem to come around Rob too. This seems to be one of his moves in his tool belt. It's just like, it's just really invasive. And uh, I don't know. It just, the level of distrust, I guess, is just so thick out
1: there that it comes to that. If you have the idol, just don't leave it in your bag. Go hide it in a hole in the forest somewhere and get it when you need it, but don't keep it on you. Otherwise people find it. Hide it in your crotch is what we've learned. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Once again, Rob's just a step ahead of the game. Um, Let's let's do our front runners to win. We're getting in the merge. so it's getting a little more clear. Who's in a really good position Um, though. It's still early. A lot of twists and turns this season will surely still take, but uh, Justin, who, who do you have that you think is in a really good spot? So I highlighted Jeremy. Uh, I alluded to this a little bit earlier. I just think, A, he's good at
0: challenges, so he could perhaps go on a run here uh, of individual challenges. And then him and Denise are in such a good position here. It just seems like after last week, uh, not only are they working really well together and not only has she shown pretty clearly that she's willing to take him pretty far in this game, but then as we were talking about, they could loop in Tony and Kim and all of a sudden you have a foursome. And unlike Denise, unlike Tony, who's loud, he is someone who could go under the radar while still claiming at the end of the game that he played a good game because early in the tribes before they kind of got shuffled up, he was also in a powerful position with Michelle.
1: Yeah, he's playing a really, he, he the, the trick on Survivor is always to strike that balance between not being too big of a threat, not being too big, of a coattail rider, um, and he, I think, is doing a pretty good job right now. Of where he can kind of play both of them, he's not really a target, but he's not doing nothing either. Um, my front runner to win, I'll say Michelle for this episode. I'm really struck by that. There are some parallels to her to to past winners. I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but you know, Sandra after Pearl islands wasn't necessarily the most respected winner until she won heroes versus villains poverty after coming in like fifth or sixth place in cook islands. Wasn't really that, uh, well-respected of a player or that highly anticipated when she appeared on her next season, which was Micronesia fans versus favorites with which poverty then won. And it just kind of, it like, Parallels with this idea that even though we've seen all of the legends and old schoolers go early, what this season is likely to do is to create new legends and new icons as Survivor. And Michelle is kind of positioned to maybe be one of those players, you know, a player who, when she won her season, wasn't really the biggest star of her season, wasn't always the most well respected among fans and everything, but has a chance this season, even if she doesn't win, just with her level of gameplay, to to become a really well-respected player and a player who will probably come back again at some point and we'll be like oh my god queen michelle here we go we stand (laughs) um so i'm excited by her not just because i picked her preseason i just think she's playing great
0: yeah i mean she turned what what we are led to believe was on the outs perhaps uh like ready to go into a situation where she's kind of like the big power amongst that foursome. And so I thought that was a big move. And if this Wendell alliance is what we perhaps think it is, that could end up being a big thing as well. So she's she's definitely surprised me. Yeah, And and like even earlier, in, in the first tribe with Jeremy, she was able to swing the votes in order to like turn things against the older school players. And so everywhere she's gone, she's been able to turn a disadvantage into advantage. And that's been really impressive.
1: Yeah, she's, uh, you know, after her season, people were like, oh, you know, she was like a pretty good social player. Um, We're seeing this season that she's actually like a very great social player and also is not a bad strategic player either. She's got multiple tools in the toolbox, at least this season she does. Mm -hmm, For sure. Um, All right. I think that is all we have for today. Justin, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, man. Thank you for listening to The Pod Has Spoken. I'm Riley McTee. That's Justin Verrier. Isaac Lee is our producer for this episode. I'll be back here on the Ringer Dish feed next Thursday. We'll see you then.